trauma. Everyone has it. No one talks about it. It seems easier to stay silent, ignore it, or stuff it than it does to honor it, learn from it, and finally heal. Trauma is debilitating, yet so often we suffer in silence. Trauma is not meant to be battled alone, and we are no longer going to suffer in silence. Together, we are creating a safe place to speak, to share our stories, and grow our strength as we heal. Together, we are giving a voice to those who have been silenced, bringing darkness into light, and letting God use our stories. Today, we find ourselves again. We relight our spark and let it light up the world. Stop SIS is a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating on issues of trauma and trafficking, as well as the amazing power of the healing journey. Welcome to Stop SIS. Hey, you guys, <laughs> welcome to Stop Suffering in Silence. My name is Denise Walsh, former clinical psychologist, and I'm here with co-host Rachel Timothy, who, if you do not know, recently wrote a book entitled Reflecting Ownership, and she's started working with some of the ladies who are going through the book, and I'd love to hear a bit about how it's going. Yeah, so just recently, uh, we started to go through just the first chapter, and with it, there's a chapter, like a chapter book, but then there's also a workbook. And so it's kind of answering the, some tough questions as far as um, where your behaviors come from, like why you feel the way you feel, why you react the way you react. And we often don't realize that those feelings and actions and behaviors come from an ownership that started years ago with our abuse and the relationship with our abuser and what that looks like now, years later, when you are nowhere near that abuser, but yet it's still impacting how you live in your everyday life. And so having these conversations with these women, it's emotional. Um, it's it's hard stuff, but um, I had a really neat conversation with one individual recently, and um, I really liked the way that she worded this because we I was asking her about her safe place like what felt safe to her. And her response was my only safe place was him happy. In other words, her only safe place was her abuser feeling, um, feeling happy, feeling um, like she was obedient, feeling like she was um, broken to his will. And so she lost who she was in the process. And it was just a really short phrase but that seemed to encompass so much when it comes to abuse. Well, I think you're right. Okay. Say that again. My only safe place was him happy. Yeah. I mean, talk about the domestic violence cycle when you have a narcissistic relationship and a, you know, you're a codependent victim whose job is to not break the ice and feels like they're walking on eggshells all of the time, trying to make sure that this other person doesn't fly off the handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I posted this phrase in, in um, like some of our social media things and the responses from people were just like the tears emoji and that's it. Like that was exactly it. That's how I felt. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think there's two sides of it, right? We have the abuser side, the, the 
psychopath, <laughs> the uh, narcissist, the whoever who like has no conscience, which we can talk about. And uh, this is the cult. This is the brainwashing. This is the I'm going to get people to do my will kind of ideology. And then we also have the the victim side, the person who's lost themselves in the process of trying to fix or be everything to the abuser. Uh, which, where should we start? Should we start on the brainwashing side or should we start with how the victim can or survivor can gain strength? Well, first explain the difference between sociopath and psychopath, because you explained that before we got on. And I didn't know that difference, but it makes sense. Right. So from what I understand, from what I understand, the word is actually psychopath and there is no clinical diagnosis for a sociopath, but it's a cultural word. In fact, I'm reading a book called The Sociopath Next Door because I'm trying to understand the mind of these people, which it's you can't because you're living they're living in two different worlds. But a sociopath is someone who was basically groomed into being a crazy person. So society molded them into having no conscience. Maybe they had their own abuse. Maybe they just grew up in a culture where that kind of was the fruit. Now, a psychopath is essentially born that way, and they've got loose screws. That's <laughs> a better way to put it. You know, they've got, they've got their, their wires are not crossed. And in fact, they would even say that they have no conscience. So in the sociopath next door, they're talking about the fact that uh, conscience is our empathetic center. This is how we have empathy to others. This is how we know right from wrong. This is why, you know, if we are do something that we deem bad, we can't sleep at night because our conscience is that stirring and that these types of people, there's one in four, in fact, 25% of the population has no conscience, so to speak. And they just don't have that same center. So they can sleep at night if they lie, steal, kill. They don't really care. And in fact, they might get enjoyment out of seeing others either suffer or seeing others bow to their whim. So they often do choose employments of power because they like having people do what they want them to do, like sucking up to them or bowing to them or doing what they are asking them to do, like getting them to do something. Oftentimes, psychopaths or sociopaths or whoever narcissist, whoever all these people are, they start young herding animals. And so that's typically one of the first things. And then it kind of graduates from there. You know, and you would think, okay, if somebody doesn't have a conscious, I'm going to be able to recognize it. I'm going to know, like, I, I, you can tell those things. No, like you right. can't. They're very good at covering that up. And I feel like there's two groups, like you have one where um, and I've been hearing of this often where um, a girl falls in love with somebody and everybody on the outside sees what's happening. They can see that this guy's controlling and narcissistic and he's brainwashing, but the girl can't. And she thinks, oh, you all just don't understand. Then she marries this man and then she's stuck and things just get they escalate. And then eventually she realizes I'm in an abusive relationship or 
it's like the community misses it completely. And then a, a victim comes forward and says, this guy is bad. And the and the whole community's like, no, we don't see that. We only see this amazing man. So it seems like it could be both ways. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think too, that because there's la- there's lack of empathy, there's no real deep relationships with someone who's a psychopath, they will have to pretend. So they have to facade. So they're very good at doing the culturally correct thing, holding the door open for you. They're like swooning you. They're, uh, you know, um, but love bombing you. They're making you feel super special. Um, but then the flip switches and their true colors come out. Yeah, I did a reel recently that talked about how there's a difference between doing and being. And these people, these sociopaths or psychopaths, you know, they can do all the right things. But deep down who they are and what they're about, they're empty or worse, they're evil. And it's they're not safe people. Right. So how do, so one of the questions that we were talking about before we hopped on was the environment that creates a sociopath or psychopath and how oftentimes very extreme cults can be like, can be crazy. People can be born out of them because of either the trauma they had in their past or the belief and ideologies that were instilled in them as a child. Obviously it's not always in a cult situation. It can be anywhere. Um, But we did bring up the conversation of the Duggar family because of the documentary that just came out. And I started listening to that. And I didn't realize this because I didn't watch that show. But I I learned in watching the recent documentary that they were born into or they were raised into the Institute of Basic Life Principles, IBLP, which is basically fundamentalist Baptist. So it's a very extreme religion, very extreme um, ideologies. And then they were all homeschooled with the IBLP homeschooling curriculum. And that homeschooling curriculum doesn't teach you math. It teaches you these 54 wisdom books that you go through. And one story they told is that they didn't learn anything above fractions in math at, during homeschool because you only you need fractions for cooking, but nothing else really. So um, the, the grooming was that the girls become wives, mothers, and have as many kids as possible. And I don't quite know yet what the boys are supposed to do because they weren't taught those skills. So I don't know what their job is yet. Um, But it feels very patriarchy. It feels like, again, just um, zapping the will and the spirit of the individual to form a group collective ideology. And if you're not a part of this group, then you're out. And And so everybody wants to be a part of the herd. Everybody wants to be a part of the group. And so they, of course, conform to what's being taught until accusations come out and the whole thing comes tumbling down because you realize it was a whole facade to begin with. So what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah. So I've, I've got a little bit of a history with the Duggars. Um, I remember years ago, back when, before I was even married, I would watch the show and there was a piece of me that felt drawn to them because of what seemed to be their connection to God and their simplicity of living. Um, And honestly, I had an interest in the Amish as well, just because it seemed so simple, 
and so focused on God from the outside looking at it um, that I was drawn to it. And I wanted to learn more and I wanted to kind of follow some of these stricter rules because I thought, oh, you know, that will that's maybe what God wants. And so I watched the show every week when it would come out and um, there were different things that they did that they believed in. And we started my fiance and I started kind of following suit. And um, eventually we got married, my husband and I, and we went to this uh, marriage retreat and we knew we found out after the fact, like after we had signed up that uh, Josh and Anna Duggar were going to be there speaking like, oh, that's just amazing. And so we went to this marriage retreat and it was, it seemed like a really neat thing that Josh and Anna just kind of clung to us. They were very interested in my husband and I, they uh, sat with us at every single dinner. They would sit with us during each speaking event. Um, And then they invited us back to their house after the whole weekend was over. Um, They had two of Anna's sisters staying with them. And Anna just had her first daughter at that point. Um, And so we went back to their house and we stayed there till like two or three in the morning. And really, Josh was just talking to us, telling us everything he knows. Um, Just, and Matt and I, my husband and I were, he was talking politics. He was talking religion. He was talking about things way over our head. Um, But he seemed super intelligent. And then they got us a hotel. And I mean, it ended up being this huge weekend where we got to meet so many of the Duggars. And we walked away from that in a friendship that continued for years um, to the point where when I started to go through what I did in 2014 and started to be hurt again and started to come forward about the unjust, like the horrible things I went through as a kid, Josh and Anna were the people that we talked to the most about it. And what was really interesting, this is before anything had come out about Josh. Um, What was really interesting is he was kind of mentoring my husband and Anna was mentoring me. And um, my husband said he remembers Josh saying, you know, men like that, they just don't change. Men who sexually abuse kids, they don't change. Um, And then we find out, I think it was 2015, that he had actually been a perpetrator himself. And then probably 2017, 18, it came out, maybe it was later than that, about um, what he had on his computer. And so uh, it opened our eyes to these people that were class, like they were taking God to such an extreme level. Um, But there was, there was something off in, in all of it. And it, You know, like our last interview with uh, Chris, he was talking about how the struggle with kids and devices is, you know, there's some good that comes with these things they're on. But when you mix good and bad together, it gets really confusing. And I feel like in this cult, whatever you want to call it, this IBLP, there was good in it. There was God in it in some senses, like the way that they spun it, but they mixed it with abuse. And that's where you know, that's spiritual abuse. And that's yeah. a huge, huge problem. Apparently the IBLP teaches from the top down um, about, you know, having as many kids as possible, um, the parentification of the children to take care of the other children. Um, I don't know the infantile in what's the word when you like pretend to be younger than you are um, childlike. 
basically that girls are all taught to be childlike and have meek voices. And this is all part of the teaching. You know, they're taught, it sounds like from what I've learned, they they taught spanking, they taught abuse, they taught, you know, breaking the spirit. So it's it's not like they personally may have shifted. It sounds like from the top down, this whole thing was teaching, which then everyone goes, well, this is just the way it is here. This is just the way we do things. And so nobody questions it. Right, right. And if that's all you know growing up, I mean, that's what you think life is. And then that's who you think God is. Um, I was listening to another girl's story who was a part of the IBLP growing up. And um, she was explaining how when she, you know, she the Gothard guy, like she had conversations with him. But when she was 15, she got caught listening to a radio station that was rock and roll. And that was considered very rebellious. And so she was sent away to um, a reform school to get her behaviors right, basically to break her, to break her spirit to where she was obedient to what they wanted her to be obedient to. And this reform school, the rules were you were not allowed to talk. Like, no, nothing, not I need to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. Not a word was allowed to come out of your mouth. And she disobeyed and and she spoke. And when she did, she was put in six weeks of confinement, isolation, not allowed to see anybody talk. uh, I mean, obviously talk to anybody, but it was a breaking spirit. And you don't hear about that part of the IBLP, right? You only hear like, oh, my kids are so good and obedient and loving and they grow up to be, you know, just as God wants them to be. Um, They grow up to be traumatized individuals. Yes. Yeah, they do. And so when we think about the brainwashing of, you know, a, a culture, really, and, and and if you think about it, we're all brainwashed in a sense, because we all grew up with in a culture and we, you know, there's, there's cultures that are healthy, and then there's cultures that are not healthy. And that's always the question, like, is this actually healthy for me, my family, etc. Um, but that kind of brainwashing can also happen on a one-to-one level, right? Mm-hmm. Where a perpetrator and his girlfriend, wife, victim, whatever, he can brainwash or she, I mean, I've heard of a lot of crazy girls out there too. So they can be, they can brainwash on a one-to-one level as well. And so you can see that conformity that in the big group they have, they want to be, they want to conform. They That's the whole goal is to get kind of this group think in a one-to-one relationship. The goal is to get the victim to align with the perpetrator. So the perpetrators, what they say and do is correct. Uh, their right is right. You know, they're the ones that make or break. They're the ones in charge. They have the authority. And so when you live with somebody who's acting like that, oftentimes they've love bombed you to begin with. So you're emotionally connected. And then they start telling you you're wrong and they start gaslighting you and they start the abuse cycle where they, you know, there's there's a blow up and then an apology and a honeymoon phase. And this thing can, keeps going. And in that moment, you don't ask your the questions of what do I want? What's best for me? You are just trying to keep the peace in the home and toe the line with that one other person. 
And I think when you get these cultures like this, you have this authority figure doing the narcissistic stuff. And then you have so many people around them saying, yeah, they're right. Mm-hmm. Like they are this amazing individual that you should listen to. And it's just adds to the confusion of the person trying to understand what is going on. I heard recently the verbiage of the perfect victim, which I thought was interesting because mm-hmm. And basically what they mean is ripe for the taking, you know, like they're already broken or, you know, they've come up. So if you have this authority figure that's telling you what to do all the time and you haven't learned to trust yourself, then when the next authority figure comes, it will be much easier to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I want to like, don't hear that as it was your fault, like. Because I think oftentimes victims will will think, well, what was it about me that made him do that? That's that. No, it's still on them. However, if I, I know for me, one of the main tugs towards my perpetrator was he made me feel special. And depending on your life and where you're at and what you've been through up to that point, if they know that you are wanting that love, they can they can twist that in many ways and and get you to do things that you never would have done otherwise. So in one of the big cases that's happening right now, that's the Lori and Vet Chad Daybell case. I know Rachel, I'm like telling her all about it, <laughs> <laughs> but they did the exact same thing. So in the story, they decided this was back in 2019 that they were going to become the leaders of the 144,000. They had this direct connection with God. He was telling them all of these things. They were the leaders of Zion and they started this new church called the Church of the Firstborn. And they were handpicking people to join them. And all these people that joined them had all these special powers. And you are super special. And so again, when you, because I just listened to hours of testimony, because eventually you guys, these two people, they killed her husband, they killed his wife so they could get married and they killed her two children. Um, So there's four, potentially five people, because she had another ex-husband who died uh, that have all been killed because of their brainwashing beliefs, which is kind of what got me down this rabbit hole of like, how does this happen? And um, the point of the story was that they did the same thing. Part of the love bombing at first and intermittently, because mm-hmm. in this particular story there, she would ignore people's texts for days, but then come back and be like, I love you so much. Thank you. You're such an important part of everything. You know, she would love bomb them, but then ignore them at the same time, which isn't a very good friend thing to do. But the people on the recipient side want to feel special and um, don't know why they're being ignored. So it's this like pull on their heartstrings. Yeah. I mean, I can share great examples of that in my own abuse story with how he uh, started off the relationship telling me that I was special and that I was going to be in the WNBA. And, you know, he wanted to be along for the ride and he could just see, you know, how special I was. But then all of a sudden would go silent, wouldn't look my direction, wouldn't talk to me, acted like I wasn't even there. And this went on for years in the in the midst of the abuse. And so, you know, back then I didn't know, like I, I would see his reaction to me, but I wouldn't know why. And I wouldn't 
fully, I wouldn't understand any of this brainwashing that was going on. But I remember one particular day, um, him and I would occasionally pass notes. Like he would have this special girl in his class and she would come and get me to go to his class some, but also, you know, like I would give her a note to give him or vice versa. And um, I remember one time I gave him a note for her to give to him. And inside of it, I had all the money that I had at that point in my life. I was probably in sixth grade. I don't know. All the money that I had had somehow developed, I gave to him because I had seen other people give him money and it made him happy. And so I thought me doing this will make it to where he's happy with me again. And he had the little girl then come and get me out of class. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to be very pleased with me. And he was super, super angry. And, uh, but I just, that's how extreme it was in my mind of trying to keep him happy. That's what felt safe. Mm -hmm. Right. So what can someone do who is in that situation now? They're realizing that this is grooming or love bombing or gaslighting and that they're spending so much of their time and energy making sure that someone else is okay, that they're losing themselves in the process. Besides reading your book, which we will always recommend as one of the first parts of the healing journey is just having your eyes aware, uh, your eyes opened to this happening. Because when you're in the midst of it, you don't even often realize that it's going on until you take a step back. So reflecting ownership is on Amazon. Everybody go grab it. And uh, we do have a Facebook group where we uh, are going are going to plan to go live and maybe do a, a group together so people have a chance to talk about what they're experiencing as they go through the book. Um, but what else can survivors do if they realize they're in that type of situation? Um, I mean, it just depends on the situation. But one thing that comes to my mind is, you know, like, so for example, this, I don't, can't remember the age of the girl that you got to give um, advice to. Was she graduating high school? Oh, no. So my friend from college sent everyone an email and had us give wisdom to her 13 year old, her girl, her daughter's turning 13. So I had lots of wisdom to share. <laughs> one of the number one things you said is be very careful who you pick as a partner. Yes. Because I think this is where Guys, if you have a loving family, listen to them in the process of looking for a partner because we can be manipulated and uh, very easily manipulated by some individuals trying to gain your heart or whatever. And I just I see it happening all the time where they're like, oh, my parents don't understand. They don't see what I see in this individual. And they end up in an extremely abusive situation with kids who are being abused and so I think one thing is take it slow. Anytime you are creating a relationship with somebody, they're probably not going to want to take it slow. They're probably wanting to if get they're, if they're a bad guy, if they're a bad guy. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're in love. We should go ahead and just do this thing. Like what? Don't listen to your parents. They don't know what they don't understand. Guys, take it slow. And if they truly love you, they will want to take it slow as well. Like they'll get it. Um, it's not that most likely it's not that your parents are just trying to keep you from falling in love or whatever. Um, but I just think your words of wisdom in that situation, like that is one thing that you could do to help protect yourself in moving forward in a relationship. 
Well, what I found in working with people for the past 20 years is that the relation, I mean, your home is the foundation. Like if you don't like your job, you can get a new job. But if it's rocky at home and if it's drama at home and if there's addiction at home and it's chaos and you're not on the same page, it's just harder to leave mm-hmm. than it is a job or losing weight or whatever the health issue. You know what I mean? Like the relationship and the home foundation is, I would say, one of the hardest to change because usually there's kids involved. I mean, obviously we would say if there's an abuse happening in the home, set boundaries, get out, do what you need to do to be safe. But we know it's not easy. So if we can protect kids and say, be super mindful and thoughtful, like write a list out of the things you choose in a partner and then don't, um, and then wait, like, don't, don't bend. You know what I mean? Like be really firm on those because there is somebody out there that can meet them. Mm-hmm. What I know, right, is that these psychopaths are very good at pretending. So they can love bomb and they can. So the questions that you would then ask is about their history. Tell me about your like. So these girl people in the cult I was thinking of, the one who ended up killing her own children had been married five times and got married at 16, 18, like young um, was in several abusive relationships. I mean, again, she she had a, a very fundamentalist family as well. So lots of things there. But you want to know, like, do you have long term relationships? Like, tell me about like, tell me about your past because history repeats itself. And then the other one who was in this cult as well was married six times. And so there's just obviously you don't know that at the beginning, but you'd have to there's red flags that pop up. And that's really what you're looking for is patterns over time. Yep. I agree. And then when you're, when you're finding yourself being caught up in something that seems too good to be true, or there's extremes talked about always and nevers, and there's um, rules put around you that, I mean, you are in control of your life. If somebody is telling you what to do, that's, not love. That's not normal. That's not them taking care of you. God is in control of you. You are in control of you. Like that relationship should be first and foremost. You don't need somebody to tell you how you feel or how to think or how to raise your kids. Like let God do that. And so if you're entering into some sort of a religion or a group that is telling you what to do or is talking in extremes, that's red flags as well. Yeah, absolutely. The other red flag that I'll point out is when somebody says you're responsible for them. Mm. So like you're responsible for making me happy. If I'm angry or upset, that's your fault. If I lost my job, it's your fault. If I, whatever, it's your fault. Like if somebody is blaming you for something and giving their ownership away, like that's not true at all, right? You don't have that much power. They need to take ownership of their lives and themselves. And so if somebody's blaming you for things that are happening to them, again, that's an emotional tether to work to sever because it's not true. They have, like, they take responsibility for them. You take responsibility for you. Yep. Agreed. I think if you are somebody who has been through abuse, been through, like, you have trauma, um, I think it's wise to not jump into another relationship 
because I think you're you're going to be basing that next relationship off of uh, wounds that you still have. And it could be easily manipulated by somebody. So I think before you go into relationships, get yourself as strong as you possibly can. Work on those wounds that you have because it's going to help you have a different filter and lens when you are looking for a spouse moving forward. Um, because oftentimes, you know, we jump into a relationship thinking it's going to fix everything. If I could just be loved, then everything will be better. And you end up in a worse spot than when you started. Right. Because again, the reality is, is no one can fill that void, you know? And so you want to be as whole as you can be loving yourself, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Like you want to have that connection strong before you invite someone else into your world too. Yes. It's easier said than done. It seems like a simple, quick fix. You know, he will make my life better. It's not the truth. Right. Let's see. Oh, another red flag, I would say. And again, you can, if you find that there's abuse and then a honeymoon phase, abuse and a honeymoon phase, whether that abuse is spiritual, physical, or emotional, that just, that just tells you you're in a cycle. So if you randomly get flowers or, I mean, again, obviously every relationship is different, but I think that sometimes we don't pick up on the cycle when we're in it. And so it can be helpful to know the cycle. Um, So that way, let's see, I know there's more than just those. So there's the calm tension building, which is like, they're starting to drink again, or they're out on the town again, or whatever. And then violence, um, abandonment, you know, the not coming home when they say they're not, they're going to come home, cheating on you, all that kind of stuff. And then making up honeymoon. Um, And so that's the cycle of violence. And I think if you know the cycle of violence, then you can pinpoint where it's not healthy. It's not healthy. And you can choose not to be a part of that cycle anymore. Yeah, agreed. You know, when I think of um, my time with Anna Duggar, she is probably one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And, um, you know, she was brought up in the IBLP group, like her parents were involved in that. And, um, and then she marries Josh and she was very, is very devoted to God, but she has so much, um, brokenness in her from her lifestyle and, and the men who have been over her and teaching her to the point where when Josh was caught repeatedly doing awful things, I mean, he was buying women while they were married and doing awful things with them. And then, you know, we find out he is still like doing some of the worst child porn that you can imagine on is on his computer. She still supports him and she still thinks he's a good dad and that their kids can be around him. She is so lost in who she really is and how to think for herself that she's still caught up in believing there's no way that that's possible about him or he's still a good guy. And so I think it just shows the depth of the brainwashing because I don't believe Anna would ever put her kids in harm's way. But when she so fully believes that what they have taught her, it leads to letting her kids be around a a monster. They um, apparently part of the story is that when the police said, we need to interview your kids, 
because oftentimes to get the videos that he had, there needs to be an exchange. And so that way we're both culpable. You know what I mean? Like there has to, and so she, she said, no, she did not allow her children to be interviewed because she just didn't believe that it was possible. But yeah, all of these facts are shockingly in our face, but that you're right. That's the depth of, of the brainwashing. And then that's when cognitive dissonance comes in. And we were, oh, I don't remember where I was, but I heard this and then I told you about it. <laughs> um, but it was, oh, I was listening to a forensic psychologist and he was talking about the psycho psych psychopathy people. And basically he was saying that oftentimes we say seeing is believing. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way the human brain works. The human brain works, believing is seeing. And so what we believe is what we see in our world. And that's why this brainwashing changes the way you view yourself, the way you view the world, the way that you view others. And we can all be living here on earth, but in different worlds, because I say the sky is blue, you say the sky is purple, and there's no, like, we're just not in the same world, even though we're in the same world. And I think that's what these, these cultures, these cults essentially create. Yeah. Because now, ultimately, Anna is not. <sighs> well, and what they said in this podcast is they said that it might like, like, it's not going to look good on her right. to not ensure her children's safety. And yeah. if something did happen, you know, you just, God forbid, you don't want the kids to be taken from her, too. Right. But at the end of the day, it's a possibility. It, yeah. And so really like, it's not, I'm not wanting to sit here and judge and be like, Oh my shame on her or whatever. But what my heart is broken for them because all of this started with somebody creating a religion around a God who doesn't believe in any of this crap, this, this child porn, this abuse, this oppression, this, you know, authority and telling you what to believe that's not God. But this guy created a religion around it and look at the destruction that has happened as a result. It's it's devastating. And I know several of the Duggar daughters um, are now pulling away and they're speaking out and good for them. There's healing in that. And, uh, you know, I got to meet some of them and whenever they were still very meek and under control and getting to see them now breaking free. It's beautiful. Have you seen the documentary yet? I have not watched it. I think you'd be proud. Okay. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know how my feelings would be towards it. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm not done yet, but the the growth of some of the girls who are speaking out is pretty cool to see. And you know what sucks when you get in these situations and it's not these daughters' fault, but they feel like in the midst they're the ones tearing the family apart. And they aren't, but it still feels that way. You're taking a stand on what is healthy for you, what is right. But in the same time, like doing that means you're having to say no to the people who raised you, to the people that you love and, you know, brothers and sisters. And this whole life is now gone because you're having to stand up for something. And that's a terrible place to be. So if you are in a situation where there's domestic violence happening or um, you feel the cycle of abuse, you're recognizing the 
uh, love bombing or the grooming, the gaslighting, all these things that psychopaths do because they have no conscience, essentially. Um, hopefully, understanding some of these red flags can support your decision in, in choosing to step away or figure out your boundaries, but don't do it alone. Go get help. I mean, none of these ladies, none of us can go through life alone. So get some therapy, join a program, like do the things you need to do to b- build your inner strength, but do it in a community because in our, like in our head, we just will make up all these kinds of stories. You got to work with a therapist who can help you untangle the brainwashing and help you make sense of what's really true. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is an interesting conversation. I think we could talk about this for a while. So I feel yeah. like we, we just dipped the iceberg with several <laughs> different things and we could, we could go deeper on all of them because it is, it's very interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, put in the comments what you would like us to go deeper on, and maybe we can plan to do some research on each different area, whether it's codependency and the response of the, vi- of the victim, which is mo- it's very similar. It's like, abusers are similar and oftentimes the reactions are similar and then um, brainwashing cults all that kind of stuff I think is super interesting Um, the psychopathy person in the book I'm reading they said four percent of the population have no conscience essentially and um, you know we need to know what to do when we see those red flags because it's not going to be visible to the eye correct yeah so let us know you guys what you want to hear more from post it in the comments below uh thank you so much for leaving a review for subscribing and just being a part of the conversation be sure to check out rachel on instagram she is posting daily on our instagram tiktok and facebook and youtube shorts so check it all out um but some of her videos have gone viral recently so you got to go sift through and find the ones that have over 2 million views it's pretty cool. Um Rachel is there anything you want to add before we end today? Uh yes, celebration. We are at a year. Yes. Yeah, stop sis is a year old this month and the podcast will be a year old next month and so can you believe it? A year. It's insane. It makes me like tear up and get excited all at the same time. It's beautiful. Yeah. We'll have to do a a review on the things that we've accomplished um, or like the people that we've been able to serve over this past year. Because, you know, it's good to reflect and see how far you've come. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. The people we've met and relationships we've made and the growth that we've seen, uh, the inner strength that some of these women now have. It yeah so awesome (laughs) yeah that's what this is all about really like it's so fun to see their growth and to see the lives that are changing and so thank you guys for listening for supporting for being a part of the conversation for being a part of the ministry um you know we wouldn't be here without you so celebration congratulations rachel to a year yeah right back at you partner (laughs) all right you guys have an awesome awesome week and we'll see you next time Thank you so much for listening to this powerful episode of Stop Suffering in Silence. If you are interested in booking Rachel to speak at your school, your church, or on your podcast, then please email openblindeyes at protonmail.com. 
If you are interested in sponsoring a survivor on their healing journey and would like to donate to Stop Sis, then please check out the link in the description box or show notes below, or you can email stopsis at protonmail.com. And finally, if you are currently suffering in silence or you know somebody who is, whether they're dealing with a current trauma or one from the past, then we will always recommend that you reach out to your local resources and find a counselor that you can trust because nobody is meant to suffer alone. Have an amazing week and thank you for being here.